0: Welcome back to hair metal memories. We are your hosts. I'm Brian and I'm Aaron. We are, uh, our emails, hair metal at gmail.com. Uh, we love hearing from you guys. Um, we still have stickers too. So if you send us a message or an email, um, you can message us on our Facebook page. Uh, we'll send you a sticker, you know, just send us your address. Boom. We'll send you one out. Um, uh, one of our listeners, uh, Jim Cost, uh, he sent in a recommendation for music, something that we hadn't heard before. Uh, yeah, this uh, was really exciting. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, which I thought was really cool. It's a band called Brighton Rock. So we decided to play a, uh, just a sample of it, just to kind of like get warmed up here for the show. Um, and we encourage you to send us recommendations if we haven't heard of it. We're 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 avid music consumers, I would say, is fair to say. And uh, so like uh, we love listening to new things. So go ahead and send it to us. But here is a sample of Brighton Rock. Thank <laughs> you. That's from 1986, right in the peak of hair metalness. So I'm, uh, I'm not, I can't see any reason why those guys didn't hit it as big as some other people. That was pretty good.
1: I know that's something else. (laughs) And yeah, thanks again for sending that in. That's that's like that's an awesome little discovery for us, man. We love
0: it. Uh, We'll post. uh, He sent like a YouTube video link, and we'll post that on our page so that uh, you guys can take a listen to the whole song if you're interested in that. Um, but today we are talking about one of our favorite records, uh, Queensryche's Empire. We, we both love this record quite a bit, but I think let's, let's get this, uh, just out of the way right off the bat. Uh, does it pass the hair metal smell test? No, not at all. No, not at but all. But it's also like, it's another
1: <laughs> one of those things, uh, kind of like when we talked about King's X where it's right. like, they, where the hell else are you going to put them? Cause I mean, they were kind of, yeah. While they may not have been like a hair band they were kind of packaged and sold like it, they toured with those bands.
0: Exactly. It was just part of the thing. So we felt it was fitting yeah. here and Yeah, they're of the era and all that stuff. But we, we know that they're not the same thing as like, you know, what you typically see in a hair metal band. These right. guys, we talked about faster pussycat, so you yeah, know, give us some room here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Queens Record just playing too cerebral to really belong to hair metal, I think. Um that that's just not what they were going for. They're definitely more cast in that pink Floyd mode of like you know trying very much so. trying to say things and having intelligent lyrics and all that stuff and you know and they they don't really have although they're very good guitar players they're not the guitar hero stuff you don't think
1: of them that way no i think kind of one of the one of the analogs i think of queens as and it's it's not necessarily like as a, as a direct comparison to the sound but sort of like um you know how Man for Man's Earth band was like a prog band that made bite-sized prog songs? Yeah. Yeah. I kind of think of Queensrÿche like that. Right. They're yeah. kind of a prog band, but they don't have like those like the uh, you know, close to the edge right type tendencies. Yeah. It's a lot more compact so- songwriting, but it's still very progressive in its approach. Right. Yeah. Or like, uh, you know, if uh if if Yes decided not to do like
0: 90210 or whatever and made yeah. stuff like
1: this it's kind of like a logical yeah. extension of that you know
0: yeah exactly um empire is the fourth album by queens reich it came out august 20th 1990 and has achieved triple platinum status uh silent lucidity was a number one hit for them and was nominated for a grammy And they they lost to Bonnie Raitt and Delbert McClinton for the song Good Man, Good Woman. That is a bunch of shit. Yeah. (laughs) I will say that now. I'm not saying that they're not good
1: artists in their own right but come fucking on already. When
0: I was looking at that, uh, Bonnie Raitt mopped up at the Grammys that year. Well, yeah, that was
1: the year that Nick of Time came out, and it won, like, everything.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she, and Bonnie Raitt's great, so she definitely deserves it. But, like, uh, you know, I just thought it was kind of funny putting Bonnie Raitt and Queensryche in the same category seems like kind of a mistake to begin with. (laughs) that's a straight comparison there, isn't it? Yeah, it's wonderful. (laughs) Uh, Empire just celebrated its 30th anniversary in 2020 with a re-release of the album and Jeff Tate uh the singer for Queensryche is touring and playing the whole album live yes he is which I thought was kind of interesting
1: I think on the last a few of his last dates he also did like Rage for Order or something like that too yeah I mean you know yeah he's he's coming up I want to go see Jeff there you go
0: yeah he's he's playing in Minneapolis here in like the next month I want to say um and then I saw that they just did that, I and mean, we looked up the opening act at one point because we were talking about going. We did, and didn't it was, we? I think it was somebody we hadn't even heard of, but like, uh, which doesn't mean they're not any good. But we no. just hadn't heard of them. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'd be curious, like, if I didn't have to drive up to Minneapolis, maybe to go yeah. see.
1: <laughs> when we went and saw Queens, right? We only yeah. had to drive like what, right. an hour, right? Yeah, if if that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, what was it like? Four or five years ago, we went and saw Queensryche yep. in Jefferson with a Skid Row opening.
0: Yep, in Jefferson, Iowa, at the casino.
1: It was a great show, too. <laughs> and it I mean, was a great they show. They were excellent.
0: Yeah, it was weird. Like, on the way over, I remember thinking, like, we're going to this small town in Iowa to the casino, and we're going to see these two really awesome rocking bands. Um, but the show was great. The bands were fantastic, so... I
1: I I had my reservations about Skid Row without the without Sebastian Bach, but Me that too. replacement vocalist uh, was very good. Yep, so it, it was, no, no argument there. And then, like, well, it was great hearing Todd sing for Queens right because they played all the songs in the in the normal keys and he yeah. can <laughs> hit the Queen of the Reich uh, notes. So that was that was nice. Yeah. I didn't realize that time that we saw him was one of their uh i think it was one of their first tours without <laughs> scott on the drums and that's a whole another big ass can of worms we can get to later right yeah uh, <laughs> we're not to that part yet but uh yeah. yeah it was casey grillo from camelot playing drums for him when we saw him i didn't even it i did it, it didn't come together for me i was just sitting there going boy scott looks different <laughs> What the hell? yeah i didn't
0: know about any of that stuff but anyways <laughs> Uh, let's do just a, a little short band history. They, they have a pretty long history, so I don't want to go like too much into it, but just kind of a 10,000-foot overview kind of a thing. Uh, the band started in Seattle with guitarist Michael Wilton. Uh, he had a band named Joker, and Chris DeGarmo, the other guitarist in Queensryche, uh, joined Joker, and that's how they met. Um, then Michael Wilton met drummer Scott Rockenfield, who you just mentioned, at a record store. They formed a band called Crossfire, and they covered Iron Maiden and Judas Priest, so they must have been pretty good. I mean, you know, just like say, hey, let's you just You know, when you listen to the early material, you can tell that they were Iron Maiden and Judas Priest right. fans, and that's, that's just great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, bassist Eddie Jackson uh, joined Crossfire with them, and they changed their name to The Mob after the Black Sabbath tune, The Mob Rules. Um, and they knew of Jeff Tate and asked him to fill in for a gig. He played a few shows with them, but he didn't want to play heavy metal covers, so he left. Um, and then they were recording a demo tape and they still hadn't found a singer, so they asked Jeff Tate to sing on it um, and he did. Uh, then they found out the name The Mob was taken, so they named the band after the first song on the demo, Queen of the Reich. Um, they combined the words into Queens Reich, but they didn't want to be associated with Nazism <laughs> so, because of the Reich, so they changed the spelling and added the umlaut over the Y. <laughs>
1: Just because umlauts
0: just make everything better. Right, yeah.
1: This is only the second umlauted band we've discussed, I think.
0: I think you're right. I think you're right. All right. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Just them and Motley Crue, right? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure too. Uh, The demo tape was released as an EP, and it got a great review in Kerrang! magazine. And their profile grew considerably in the U.S. and ter- in Europe, uh, and so Jeff Tate joined the band officially based on that success, and so that was kind of how he ended up in there. Um, they released a couple records. They did pretty well, and they were opening for Iron Maiden and Kiss. So they they were they were they were oh the Warning and Rage for Order are both excellent records. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, uh, but they they weren't like the big
1: breakthrough thing. No,
0: no, they were like another Iron Maiden kind of. Is I remember
1: yeah. how, when they came out is how I, I thought mean. Of them. A little more progressive, say, than Iron Maiden, but still,
0: like, you know, in, yeah. Uh, Then they released Operation Mindcrime, and that hit really big for them. Um, And they had hits with uh, the songs Eyes of a Stranger and I Don't Believe in Love. And Ronnie James Dio's Um, on that album. Yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, he's on the second one, isn't he? Is he on Mindcrime 2?
1: I thought he was on the first one.
0: I thought it was the second one, but I'm not for sure. Maybe he's on both Um, of them. Yeah, maybe he is, yeah. (laughs) Uh, yeah, and uh, and I don't want to say too much about Operation Mindcrime because I'd like to cover that album sometime uh, on the show because that's that's another great one. That's the I wouldn't say no. Yeah, it's widely regarded as one of the best best concept albums of all time, and and rightfully so. It actually has a pretty compelling story. And, oh,
1: you're right. Ryan Diaz hmm. is not on Mindcrime for some reason. I had
0: that confused. Yep. Yeah, but he's on the it's second one. It's been a while. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then after that, um, they put Empire out, and that became huge. That was their biggest record. Um, So that's kind of like the quick history of the band. Um, I found some uh, factoids about the different members um, that I thought were kind of interesting. Jeff Tate is a huge wine enthusiast and collector. Oh, yeah. I think,
1: doesn't he like make wine as well? He has a wine with it. Yeah, Yeah. his
0: his wife, uh, he and his wife launched their own brand of wine called Insania.
1: That's right. Yeah, I, which
0: is not a pleasant name for a bottle of wine, I have to say. <laughs> it, yeah. I think a boardroom yeah. meeting might have helped there. Yeah. like Absinthe, maybe. But, but whatever. Yeah. You know, I guess yeah. do your thing. Yeah. He uh, he made Dandelion wine as a Boy Scout to earn a badge, and that, and that got him interested in how wine is made, and he always just kept up with it and collected it. Um, guitarist Chris DeGarmo toured with jerry cantrell from alice in chains on his solo tour i thought that was pretty cool and when he left queensreich he became a professional business jet pilot yep and i believe he still does that to this yeah. day and yeah he says he says he's super happy he says he yep. doesn't miss rock and roll life he uh, he just does music as a side project because which he's, is
1: funny because yeah he did return for a hot minute and write a bunch of material on one of the like post uh, post uh, Promised Land albums. Yeah,
0: he's come back a couple times, and I
1: don't remember which it was yeah. now, but yeah. For yeah, the he, most he, part, he's just not interested. I think his his daughter plays music. Yeah,
0: he play, He makes music with his daughter, and
1: he's pretty. Seems to be pretty happy with the balance he's struck. So
0: yeah, yeah. But by all accounts, he's still friends with everybody in the band. So yes, that he um, has said that he yeah. Yeah, which I thought was kind of cool. Uh, Scott Rockenfield, uh, the drummer. He created a company that provides sound loops for TV and films, um, and he scored a Call of Duty video game, and he's, record- and he's uh, done the soundtracks to trailers for movies like uh, After Earth and the RoboCop remake. Oh, wild. Yeah, I thought that was kind of an interesting connection. Um, uh, Empire, the album, was produced by Peter Collins, um, and it sounds magnificent. And you know I mean, that's funny because uh,
1: now that I look at Peter C- Collins' history, I'm like, oh my god, he's been everywhere. But like yeah. I, when I first we first started digging into this, I think or when we, because f- this was was one of the early bands that we started talking about wanting to cover here. Yeah, and I had gone into like you know reading about Queensryche mode even back then, and I I um. Didn't know anything about Peter Collins. I was just like, yeah. I had no point of reference for it. And then I started looking into him and went, oh, you've, you uh, have really been involved in some stuff.
0: Yeah. He, I had no idea. And he's a very eclectic guy, too. Yeah. I, I mean, mean he, uh, he he's a British guy, and he produced Gary Moore and Bon Jovi. Uh, he did a Billy Squire album. Um, he did Suicidal Tendencies. That's the one that puzzled me. I'm like, he
1: yeah. did Suicidal Tendencies, man, really? Yeah, he
0: did Suicidal, but he also did the Indigo Girls. He did an Air Supply album. And he did that Tracy Ullman album that like had a video in, oh, in the geez. 80s. Yeah, he did that song, They Don't Know About Us, that had Paul McCartney in the video. Oh,
1: I, I have that 45.
0: Do you? Yeah. <laughs> Peter Collins produced that.
1: <laughs> hey, all right. I see the cardigans yeah. listed in his credits. Yeah.
0: yeah so he's done everything. Uh, uh, he's,
1: hey, Stupid, the first Dallas Cooper yeah. album
0: like, that I didn't listen to in mm-hmm. the 80s. Uh, he produced Nancy Griffiths. I mean, he's, he's done all kinds of acoustic stuff, but all kinds of like super heavy stuff too, you know, including two, he did Operation Mindcrime. And for literally everybody's favorite Rush albums, Power Windows and Hold yeah. Your Fire. Yeah. I was going to say, I was saving that for the big finale because I'm a huge Rush oh. fan, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. He did uh, Power Windows, Hold Your Fire, Counterparts and Test for Echo. Um, all of which, I mean, they, they sound good, whether they're your favorite Rush album or not. I it's actually do thing, like
1: Counterparts fine and Test for Echo good, fine. Yeah. I, I do enjoy those. Uh Yeah. yeah um i like power windows a lot actually it is i enjoy yeah. power windows hold your fire yeah. not so much yeah it's okay there's stuff on it that's all right or like right. uh yeah. and yeah and then we get to the, he skipped over presto and roll the bones and well so right. did we all so it's
0: okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> and who can blame it <laughs> uh queens are part of uh what is considered like the holy trinity of progressive metal um it's queens reich dream theater and fate's warning kind of like uh and i would say we should do a fate's warning album sometime if i would
1: totally talk about fate's warning yeah. i love them i mean they're not quite in our normal thing but whatever right. i don't care i love them yeah
0: yeah they're a great band too and uh and i think like you know they're adjacent they're hair metal adjacent enough that we could talk about them and, yeah. more, and more people should know about fate's warning I they think. really should so um how about uh memories of this album
1: oh i mean i got this album when it came out okay. i have listened to this
0: so much so you were a fan before
1: Oh, absolutely. I I have always been a fan of this. I think, um, I don't know if I like got it, you know, in time, uh, like when the first, no, you know what, actually, I think maybe I, I think I got it around the time that maybe the second single had been released. So I think it was before silent lucidity or right around silent lucidity is when i ended up getting that album and i've i've been through several cassette copies i've been through a cd copy that's long gone and i have an lp of it now yeah so i'm very 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 familiar with this record i love it nice (laughs) i want to say maybe the longest i've ever gone without listening to it is no more than five years yeah
0: Yeah, and I I had heard of them in high school because I was a big Iron Maiden fan, and uh, like my a buddy of mine who read a uh, Circus and Hit Parader and all that stuff was telling me if you like Iron Maiden you'd love Queensrÿche they're basically the same thing, and you know he'd kind of laugh derisively <laughs> about about them, um, and, and I think I heard a little bit of their stuff, but it was a lot harder to hear stuff back then. Um, and so, like, I didn't really, you know, I was aware of them, but I didn't really follow them or listen to them until uh, Operation Mindcrime came out, uh, and I bought that tape just on based on reviews and stuff. That would have like been that.
1: when I first heard him was Operation, because I remember yeah. seeing the video for Eyes of a Stranger, and just, you yeah. know, I think I was eight or nine when I saw that video, and was just like, whoa, yeah. I have. I have no reference in my head for this sound here.
0: Well, this is all right. Yeah, and I was a huge Pink Floyd freak. And so, like, Operation Minecraft fit right into that concept album mode that I was, like, my body had been prepared for. So that, you know, Operation Minecraft really blew me away. And so then when, you know... Um then when Empire came out, I was I was with you. I was I was ready to buy it right when it came out. And it was right at the end when I wasn't really into like at first I thought, yeah, I probably won't buy that because you know, whatever. And then I heard Silent Lucidity and I was like, Oh, they're going full on Floyd. Yeah. (laughs) And so then I went out and bought the C D of that right away. (laughs) Yeah, I remember they uh they
1: performed Silent Lucidity on one of the video music awards. It would have either been like the fall of ninety one or the fall of ninety two. Yeah. And I want to say it's whichever one of those uh, when the VMAs was hosted by Arsenio Hall. Oh, okay. That's how I remember it. Because I remember yeah. him standing on stage stage yeah. saying the word
0: lucidity over and over. Because <laughs> <laughs> how often do you get to say that word? Right? <laughs> you know, it, it, it's not a common uh, conversational uh, thing. Yeah. yeah. And sort of a tangent to that is in, in prepping for this, I watched an interview with uh, uh, Jeff Tate and Chris DeGarmo, I want to say, um, with Martha Quinn on MTV. That tracks. And I was just sort of like, and, and in, I, it was really nice to see Martha Quinn again. I'd forgotten how much, uh, that was a high school crush, you know, where it's like, look at Martha Quinn, she's the cutest. Well, yeah, and that's when, because
1: it seemed like she had been gone from a TV for a couple of years and then came back and like had a new presence in like the early 90s on it, on yeah. it you know, because I started watching MTV like regularly when I was very young cuz it was yeah. just the thing I wanted but uh, cuz I remember like most of the original DJs were or VJs were gone by like 87 88 uh-huh. and I want to say she came back but I don't know that well I could be yeah I don't remember for my sure head, either. but and I'm guessing that Jeff Tate still had a long flowing mane of hair back then Yep yeah, he did Yeah yeah <laughs> the good old days uh-huh.
0: Yeah, and he, and he comes off as a very smart guy, you know, in the interviews and stuff. so. I don't think I mean, that's ever been what's yeah. you know been challenged about. Yeah, him. no. <laughs> in all the in all
1: like the the the, yeah. the the drama and crap that was like the last yeah. nine years involved in between Tate and Queensreg, I don't think that yeah. was a thing. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And as far as I can tell, like, you know, I don't want to talk a whole lot about that stuff because to me, to me, that's never fun when like bands like, you know, implode and stuff like that. Right. They're usually not very fun, but it sounds like it was a management thing where Jeff Tate had his wife being the band's manager and he had like one of his daughters managing the merch and, and, and people were like, whoa, he's just taking control. And, and so they fired his wife and daughter um, as, you know, as a band, you know, because mm-hmm. everything was votes in the band because, you know, Queensryche is a corporation. you know? Yes, it is. It, well, so like they, many uh, of the other bands of that size, it kind of right, has yeah. to be. <laughs> yeah, it has to be. So they fired them and without telling him. Uh, and then when he found out, he got pissed and he like, you know, was reportedly threw things and threw a punch and stuff like that. And that was that was the end of it. Basically, right there, and it ended up with litigation and bad feelings. About and, two uh, years of lawsuit. Yeah, yeah. And for a while, there was two Queens Rikes while they sorted that out, and then, uh, and and I read like the. Like the final decree in the uh, the case, and it was really interesting. Like the stuff that, like Jeff Tate was allowed to use Operation Minecrime and Minecrime Two, um, and the band was not, they're not allowed to play those albums in their entirety anymore. Correct, and stuff like that. And so there's all these weird th- and uh and there was a thing for like two years he had to put like a formerly of Queensryche, and the font had to be a certain size yep. compared to his name and stuff like that. And I was just like, wow, they got into the details. Well, there. And that's what sucks. <laughs> you have to do that because you get right. some like weird shit you know it's one of being one of those people <laughs> who just
1: sits around and reads about bands people yeah. like there are so many times where a band will split and one member tries to do some kind of shady shit to where they can like be like oh i'm right. the band this is me it's like right. so no you actually have to go through and be like okay once you leave the band you do this right. <laughs> you, for this many years you can list the name still on there yeah i mean to this day uh when uh well uh, this next roger waters tour this coming up this big tour mm-hmm. uh if you look on well the one like promotional poster i saw it said something about um the creative vision behind pink floyd and mm-hmm. like see now i don't want to go see you right <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of jerk offish yeah because well at the same time it, you know it's not like these necessarily happened at the same time, but also there was a, a re-release of Pink Floyd's Animals coming out, and mm-hmm. Roger Waters was all pissed off because the liner notes didn't basically just say, Roger's the greatest thing ever. Right. And then he's like, I've been banned from the Pink Floyd Facebook page, and it's like, well, Roger, I hate to nitpick, but you left that band in 1985, so right. you're not in the band, Right. So, yeah, that's probably why they don't <laughs> let you post there.
0: Yeah, and he used to brag about that. He used to say, I haven't been in that band in years. Why do people keep asking me about it, you know, yep. and all that stuff, and then all of a sudden he changes his mind Ooh. like, this is well, my yeah. <laughs> gotta have to pick a lane asshole. Yeah. Don't get me
1: wrong, I love you, buddy, but uh, fuck. Yeah. So, so Jeff, Jeff Tate was inspired by Roger Waters, even at the, at the ego level. <laughs> so you can, yeah, yeah. I
0: want my ego to be that big.
1: <laughs> Roger Waters' name does come up in my notes <laughs> kind of a lot on this album.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, let's let's talk about the album. It's. Uh, in general, uh, it's very... We, we said cerebral before. Uh, it's definitely very cerebral. Very slick sounding, but not too slick. It's not like, you know, it's just like really clean and together. Um, you but know,
1: it is very layered. Very layered. There's a lot of spots yeah. I was
0: noticing where you
1: can hear like both guitars kind of doing different lead things and like yeah. more rhythms un- dubbed underneath them. and Yeah.
0: And, and lots of reverbs and delays. Oh, yeah. And, uh, it's I very, think this is like the second longest album we've talked about. I think you're right. It's, it's behind stream yep um yeah it's dense um and there's not i think we said before not huge guitar hero stuff on it but all the parts work really well in the arrangements these are like you can tell they labored over the arrangements of things and and one of my favorite
1: things is actually the space they allow uh you know there's there's a lot of spots on the record where the guitars just aren't doing much at all right and that's like that's way cool that they have you know they show that much restraint right in, in service of the arrangement and the composition
0: yeah yeah, uh, most of the tunes on it. We talked about, you know, you just mentioned how it's long. Most of the songs are over five minutes. The, the shortest song, "Another Rainy Night," is like four and a half. That's like the shortest song. Um, so they're they're definitely they got some some shit to say.
1: <laughs> and outside of two, like only two songs on this album don't have music written by Chris Degarmo. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> and I will point them out as we go, just because okay. it's, it's
0: just. Yeah, yeah. Let's dig into it. Um, yeah, uh, we start off with "Best I Can," uh, which is immediately a very cool tune. And once here we go, music and uh-huh. lyrics, Chris Degarmo. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's soaring and it has a great story to it. It's like, you know, somebody is shot and ends up in a wheelchair and they're overcoming their disability. Um, uh, there's like cool, ominous synths in and there. And this is one
1: I was pointing out. I love, like, there's not much guitar in the verses. There's not. They, no. they hang way the hell back, especially in the second verse. Yeah. Like, there's only the little stabs of guitar. Yeah. And for the most part, there's, so I mean, there's one guitar player who's just waiting.
0: Yeah. And, it, yeah, most of the time with, with these types of albums you start out with a big rocking song and stuff. And this this rocks but in a way different way and it's not it just It has a guitar. lot of restraint and yeah.
1: a lot of very specifically paced things cuz like yeah. cuz like even the verses change a little bit from verse to verse uh-huh. cuz you know the, the first verse of the song is like it's just well, I guess it's like a half verse that they start with, where it's just keyboards and vocals. But when they get into the first verse, there's more guitar than the second verse. It drops further back. Okay. And so they like yeah. just do little tweaks when you when you come when you come back to the verse each time. It's a little bit different.
0: Yeah, you can tell they're going for like let's create a masterpiece. Um, I I thought you know listening to this song like right away I'm like this sounds surprisingly modern. I mean for being in 1990, you know. It does, and I actually uh, this.
1: This song actually kind of makes me think of like Roger Waters stuff. Yeah. Like, I mean, when you think about it, this this album is only like two years removed from uh, Roger's Radio Chaos, and it sounds yeah. This kind of almost sounds like if there was more stuff Roger Waters had done between Radio Chaos and Amused to Death, it might sound kind of like this. Honestly. Yeah.
0: And I really dig the midsection of this
1: song where they break into seven eight. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's 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 pretty cool (laughs) too. Yeah. Uh, and it's really melodic, too. There's parts where he's, like, doing, like, sing-song sections in the lyrics where it's very catchy and stuff, um, you know. So, yeah, yeah, good good start. Uh, and then we go to The Thin Line is the second song. This is very dense and lush with this huge acoustic guitar sound. And I love the riff. I yeah. just love
1: the riff of this song. It's killer. Yeah,
0: yeah. and the melody's really weird. It's a, it's it's pretty complex to my ears. Like uh, yeah. There's a lot of things going on in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Chris Degarmo, I found I found this quote. He he wrote in the sleeve notes for the Japanese edition of Empire. Um, the thin line is about doing something for someone that perhaps you wouldn't normally do unless asked to. Walking on a thin line for someone is dealing with taking that extra risk or a chance that it normally wouldn't take, but to do it for a friend or for a lover. So. I thought that was kind of cool. He kind of explains what the song's about for us. He does. Um, and there's some really cool harmony guitar parts in this song. Yes.
1: Th- yeah. I was very big on that. And yeah. I also, like, uh, at, the, at the at the start of the tune, when he's doing that first verse and there's, like, almost no guitar going on, the tone of the bass is really awesome. It is awesome. He's not doing <laughs> yeah. anything except for just bump, 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 just yeah. real simple things. But just that... There's, like, a little bit of drive on it, and it just yeah. sounds excellent.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's, let's play some of those harmony guitars. Hell yes. And the, the way the drums oh, yeah. swing against the beat kind of there, that's cool too. <laughs> I love that.
1: I'm, I'm really glad that you captured a little bit of how, how Rock and Field gets them out of, the, out of that section. It's fucking great. It
0: is great. Oh.
1: Because it's funny because you don't really, you know, for having two very competent lead guitar players, mm-hmm. you don't get a lot of that twin guitar shit on this album. No, not it's really. It's just not really a thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, which is a shame. I'm just such a sucker for that stuff.
1: <laughs> well, because it's kind of awesome. As people who yeah. love, you know, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, Thin
0: Lizzy, I mean, you uh, like, yeah. you tend, it's a very appealing sound. It <laughs> is, yeah. <laughs> Uh, the third song is "Jet City Woman." Um, and this is this is such a great tune. <laughs> it's incredible. It was a hit for him, and I'm glad it was a hit. Like you know, sometimes there's a band they have a hit, and it sort of like becomes like an albatross that they carry around. But like this this song is great, and I'm just like I can't believe this was a hit. Well, it well, <laughs> it's so good.
1: I and that's the funny thing because you know this song uh, is one of the more like kind of conventional songs on the album. It is, yeah. Which is crazy cuz it's still just like top-notch, excellent. Yeah. Uh once again, love the bass intro. Yeah. And uh as I I, I say, the, the rise and fall of that first verse of the song is like a master class in how you like make a just yeah, how you shape a fucking verse right. for <laughs> maximum effect. It's wonderful.
0: Yeah. Uh this song talks about coming home to family after a long road trip. Um, Jet City is a nickname for Seattle, which is the band's hometown, as we said before. Um, it was written about Jeff Tate's first wife, who was a flight attendant. Um, this song appeared in Guitar Hero Warriors of Rock. I, really? Yeah, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, there's some really cool vocal effects on this, making uh, Jeff's voice so huge and hypnotic in it. Um, and there's a, there's a pretty sweet solo in it, too. Um, and I, I had that oh, flag. Yeah. out. Let, let's <laughs> This is the solo to Jet City Woman. Yeah, again, not super guitar hero stuff, but that, that that's he's moving. But he's moving But it's just along.
1: once again, they just have this they have a really good sense of like pacing because you know, yeah. it starts off and it's like simpler some more, yeah. you know, like chordy stuff and as it goes, it like, you know, it's yeah, it's just yeah. Yeah, I very love, melodic,
0: <laughs> well constructed. It's like they thought and I believe
1: that's a DeGarmo solo. That sounds right. Yes, yeah. it is. Okay. Yes, it is. Okay. Uh because uh, Michael Wilton only played three solos. Oh, really? That's weird. Well, okay. Because they don't, they don't like give a specific credit to the the twin solo and thin line, and then okay. they divvy the rest of them up. Oh,
0: okay, okay. Uh, then we have Della Brown, uh, and this is one of the longer tunes. This one's over seven minutes. And my long. favorite
1: song on the album.
0: Yeah, this this song. I kicks love this butt. song yeah. so much. This is a it's a weird song, but it's it's really cool. Um, well, yeah,
1: yeah. There's like one guitar that basically plays one chord through the whole fucking song. Right. Yeah. It's just a really <laughs> awesome, just an incredibly satisfying sounding chord. You know. Yeah. Uh, and that's honestly one of my favorite things about the song. Well, then you yeah. know that l- little bass figure that just kind of lopes along through yeah. it. And, and yeah, there's, uh, there's yeah. a weird
0: groove in it. Um, oh, I think this yeah. this
1: song highlights yeah. Scott Rockenfield, just how fucking right. good he is as a drummer. I mean, yeah. once again, it's not like her- like. Atmos- you know, explosive
0: yeah. heroics, but just his his sense of taste in the song is just mm, fucking it, top-notch. It is, yeah. Um, uh, Jeff Tate said in an interview about this song that it's one of the more interesting tracks on the record and one I enjoyed singing. It's a look into the life of a woman who had it all, beauty, brains, and success, but things didn't work out for her, and it all slipped away. She ended up homeless, living on the street. It's a very moody song that gets into a groove and stays there all the way through. Um
1: Oh, it's about Aaron Fleming, Groucho Marx's yeah. last
0: uh, <laughs> companion. <No. laughs> he says, uh, this song also means a lot to Chris and me because we see the homeless people all the time in Seattle. Most of the time you just fly by them in your car. but I remember once we were caught in traffic and just watched them. How sad it was. They were just living in doorways with cardboard boxes for covering. It really moved us. Um yeah, and as we mentioned, there's, like, some really cool atmospheric guitar playing here over, like, a weird groove. So I, I, I kind of pu- pulled some of that out, too, because I like this. Turns out we're both really right. big into the early part of this record a lot. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The way the bass and drums work there again yeah it's right just like it's so just cool. Oh, so cool so <laughs> cool and uh and this song ends with uh like thunderstorm sounds which is like you know again another pink floyd kind of move where you have sound effects at the end of a song they and just stuff. let that
1: chord like repeat a few times by itself yeah. with it yeah. it's oh the the effect is, <laughs> is fantastic <laughs>
0: uh and then we've got another rainy night without you um Probably the second most conventional song. Yeah, probably. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's it starts with a really cool harmonized guitar line again, which I thought, and and pretty good lyrics too. Uh, they uh, definitely put more time into their lyrics. They're they're like very thoughtful about them, and uh, and they put in like really nice details. Like in this one, I like how he he has that line like, "But now my takeout food is growing cold." Yeah, which is like uh, you know that's not your usual chicks and drugs hair metal stuff. You know about partying and everything. Um, and it has a pretty catchy chorus for a metal tune.
1: Yes, it does. And once again, there's just intense vocal layering that is, is right wonderful. Yeah. Uh, I really like when they come out of the when they come out of the first chorus and go back into the riff again.
0: Because
1: uh-huh. you know, technically, the like when the song starts, the do 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 on that last note is where the one hits. Uh-huh. But uh, when they come out of the chorus, they do the whole riff. 'Cause technically like the little beginning part of that riff is like kind of like a warm up the run up to the one of the rotation. Oh okay. But when they yeah. come out of it, they do the dun dun as the first note of the thing. And then it goes okay. back to how it usually sounds in every other instance. But right when they come out of the first chorus, oh, they man. play it differently, just that one time.
0: Yeah. I love shit like that. Those little details. That, you know, again, you know, I was talking about the lyric details, but that's the music detail. It's always so, been one of my yeah. favorite things, even from when I
1: first listened to it as a kid, I was like, That sounds different. I didn't yeah. really know exactly what it was, but
0: yeah. And there's a there's a little bridge section that transitions into the guitar solo, and that's also a really nice little touch. It's just like it's really brief, but it like gets you to the guitar solo, and uh, and it has the hair metal staple. In this in this way, this is a hair metal the song. Is uh where the it's a different section for the, the solo is over. Yes, where it, it goes through a different chord progression than the rest of the song, which I thought was kind of cool. <laughs> uh, and next we have the title track, Empire. Uh, and this this sounds different from the other tunes for sure, you know. I I, I mean I can't tell. It's, it's it's it has these ominous vocal effects. And it's like
1: the hardest thing on the album too. You yeah, know? it is.
0: It's, it is the hardest thing. And and this song's more about the drums as well, like than what the other songs are. There's there's parts where you can only hear. You, there's so much space you only hear the drums in spots, which is kind of cool. That
1: crazy, like incredibly detailed production on that snare drum. Yeah, right. It's just insane. <laughs> um which actually I was going to mention um cuz I, I told Brian about this a while ago. There's a, a a reaction video where this guy's talking about how yeah, how Empire, the song Empire was produced and just he's breaking down all the different like techniques in yeah. this song and it's wow.
0: Yeah, it was it's a pretty pretty interesting video. There's a lot of uh like uh, the way they used reverb Um, and stuff like that is fairly unconventional and was like really tough to get back then because they had to do it all
1: on analog. They were were doing it all on tape. Yeah,
0: they were doing all this shit on tape, which, you know, is amazing. This record sounds the way that it does. Because it sounds like a digital album, you know? That's how good it sounds. But like, um, yeah, he was using like reverse um, reverbs and stuff like that in really creative ways. And and it was just like a master class in like how you produce a record. The number of times
1: they would capture something and have to like flip it around multiple times to get the different...
0: Yeah, echoes to come
1: out right and everything. Right. And
0: just, yeah, stuff you could do in minutes on a computer, but they it had to have taken them like all day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you, you kind of get the feeling that when they,
1: yeah, I mean, not that every song on here isn't you know right. meticulously produced, but they just sort of like went all in on this one and were just they like, no nah, man, you pull yeah. out every
0: trick you've got, you yeah. know. And there's a ton of different like textures and tones and things, and they're all but they all fit together, and it sounds like they were meant to be there. And, and Wilton um, gets
1: the solo on this one. Oh yeah. Wow, nice! It's uh, yeah. uh he. He only has three solos on the record. The last, the other one being another rainy night, and then he gets this one.
0: Okay, yeah, and this is. Uh, I think we were talking about this before we sat down. we were sort of geeking out about the record. This is the the second most played live song for the band, only after Eyes of a Stranger. Um, so, th- so they're they're still playing this song a lot. That's how much they were into it. Uh, and I thought it was kind of funny. I found in, in a Wikipedia article about the song. It says the lyrical content of the song warns of a foreboding and unstoppable empire of drug trafficking with the U- United States and its related crimes that will inevitably lead to the breakdown of civility in American society.
1: Well, we knew something was going to cause it to break down, but it didn't right. end up being the drugs. Exactly. Yeah, it wasn't the drug trafficking. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were they were way ahead of the curve, man. They yeah. Did. Uh, there's a section of the song where Jeff talks about, he's, he's just rattling off statistics about government spending on law enforcement and stuff like that. You know, definitely a party record. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, you know, usually when you're passing yeah. the bong, that's like the first thing you want to talk that's about. That's right.
0: <laughs> uh, and then we follow empire with resistance. You so know? we're on to
1: side two of the cassette tape now for all y'all yeah. who are, you know, older
0: and had cassettes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and and in my notes I but and now a song about environmentalism. <laughs> yeah. uh, my comment was, "Oh, is this a Roger Waters song?" Right. Yeah. It, yeah definitely a I theme. Mean,
1: <laughs> now, uh, it's it's like not as you know overt and explicit as Roger Waters tends to mm-hmm. be,
0: but yeah, everything about the song feels like a Roger Waters song. Yeah, mm-hmm. it does. Yeah, and it's it's mostly a song about how we're fucking up the earth. Um, but you know, unfortunately, the song didn't work. <laughs> we're, still, we're still fucking. Well, up you know, there, they but. tried, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah. Very epic. Another huge guitar solo. Um, yeah, and I thought you know, I was trying to decide. This song might be a little on the preachy side, uh, but it's really tough to complain about the message they were trying to say. Quit fucking up, yeah. there So, like, so in that way, it was like way ahead of its time. I don't know. I don't know if there was a lot of environmentalism stuff going on in songs in 1990. So, and, you know, we're both you know. Pink Floyd fans, so we should be right. well past the whole preachy thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and that leads us into Silent Lucidity, the the, pink, the big the, one. The Pink Floyd cover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know, right? And uh, yeah. one of
1: my favorite things in this song is is uh, at the end of the first verse before the full band kicks in, uh, Roger Waters move the, oh, has it just begun? Yeah, yeah that's, exactly. That's some Roger Waters shit <laughs> that right is there. definitely for sure. <laughs>
0: Yeah, this is this was an enormous hit everywhere. I'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast, you've definitely heard it already. Um, if you haven't, you definitely should. I bet if you turned it on, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I heard this at the grocery store or something. It was it was played everywhere for everywhere for a while. It's um, those sweet, sweet Michael Kamen strings, man. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's about lucid dreaming. Yeah. Um, Yeah, Jeff Tate has said that it was, uh, in the beginning, it was just voice and guitar until the last week they were working on the record, and then they added all the arrangement stuff.
1: And the funny thing is, the only person who has a writing credit on this song is Chris DeGarmo. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, the only two songs he didn't write that he had no hand in writing were Empire and Resistance. Oh, okay. that's it. Wow every other song he, he appears to be
0: you know the way yeah. the way the, the, the credits are shaped it seems yeah. like he brought all this in mm-hmm. yeah he does seem like one of the creative forces in, in the band for sure um yeah, and I like there's a nice touch at the end where they, the cello plays Brahms' lullaby. You know, that's a that's a i asshole. I watched
1: a reaction video of the, there's this uh, lady who's a, a vocal coach, uh-huh. and they've, you know, like all the other people who react on YouTube, they're like, hey, tell me things I should listen to, because she had no idea who Queensryche was or ever heard, it she, sang, she, she yeah. sings with, like, the opera and stuff. and We're just like, she freaked out over this song. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> at the end of the song, she's like, hey, wait a minute, hey, wait a minute, that cello's playing...
0: You know, oh wow! And, and like pointed it out. Nice.
1: Now, my one of my other favorite things in this song is when when the, when we're coming out of the solo.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, you hear the you hear the voice that says, "Help me."
0: Yeah. It's, that's from Hellraiser 2. <laughs> that's a really cool moment.
1: <laughs> I didn't know that for the longest time. I just yeah. thought it was just a really cool capture there. And then, yeah, I, it was uh, one of those days where I wanted to watch all the Hellraiser movies because I hadn't done it for so long. And it yeah. went by. and I'm like, oh, my God, that's it. <laughs> so everybody, just g- go 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 to the video store yeah. and rent Hellraiser 2. Since we're old people talking about old things, right. we'll talk about <laughs> video stores, too. Kids, that's called one of those. It yeah. doesn't exist anymore. But your right. mom and dad used to go to the record to the to the video store and get things called vhs
0: tapes right yeah that seems so weird there's there's not vhs tape stores around i mean i know there's there's pockets of them but like they're like you know very small things and they used to dominate they used to be like you know way busy blockbuster video was like so we had like four of them in town yeah yeah crazy um uh, another nice touch in this song that I like was uh, uh when when he, he has that line about tumbling down the stairs and then the drums tumble down the stairs um, and that's one of those moments I put here that to listen to so let's listen I mean this is really small it's such a small detail but it really makes the song I think where it's like you're in the it's middle of this hypnotic thing so the walls you built with come tumbling down It's just clever. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's yeah. called Arrangement Kids. And this song gets called a power ballad a lot. Um, and it's certainly mellow. But is it a ballad? no actually uh the, i was thinking the, the same thing I, it the
1: term feel... that i came up for is a prog lullaby <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: i totally buy that 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 makes sense that's like a no it's not a power ballad no it doesn't feel like it no you know, it's just mellow it's so, like you know the fact that a metal band does a mellow song Yeah, whoever applied like,
1: that label was lazy yeah. as fuck dude i'm sorry but... yeah
0: yeah this song is like in several like top 50 power ballads of all time lists and stuff like that i'm like it's, it's about lucid dreaming it's not you yeah know, that's just not
1: even kind of right yeah mm.
0: Uh, Which is a good segue to our next song, uh, Hand on Heart. This is more of a ballad. (laughs) That's what I was going to point out. And this this one's kind of
1: weird to me because like, I'm back to... Okay, this is the last of a run of three songs that totally all sound like fucking Roger Waters shit. Right, yeah. (laughs) Because Hand on Heart, one, that sounds like a Roger Waters song title. It does. It's just funny because... It ends up being like a love song, mm-hmm. so they made this song that like has all these hallmarks of Roger Waters songwriting, but it's a love song, which he did not intend right. to do. So that was like the most fascinating thing about the song for me because it just yeah. like like it, it seems like the music. And the feeling of it kind of runs sort of contrary to what the song's actually about.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. At
1: least in my head. That's how I hear it anyway. Yeah,
0: yeah. It kind of does. You're right. Yeah, it's about relationships and promising love and being faithful. Um, I I thought it it has that line, caught by my watering eye, which is a total Floyd ripoff. Um, That's, you know, that's that line from Learning to Fly. Yes, it is. Out of the corner of my watering eye. That's right. Yeah. yeah, this one has a pretty rocking solo on it, and uh, and I'm com- I'm kind of surprised they didn't release this as a single, because this is really commercial sounding.
1: It would have worked. You know? It definitely would have worked, because I know they put out four singles from this record, but, yeah. but the thing is, when you look at it, I mean, all the ones they released as singles, it's like, okay, I get it. Um, right, yeah.
0: Yeah, it seems like they could have had one more maybe with this or something. I don't know. It just seems like it would have been popular. The five single album. Yeah uh and then we have one and only um and this is a tune about chris Degarmo meeting his wife um he's he's said that in a few interviews but he also says he want, he doesn't want to talk about it much because it's a really personal thing he doesn't want people to know more things about his wife and pretty fair you know and all that stuff um it's lyrically a little bit on the mushy side uh i to my taste but the melody is complex enough that it ends up sort of rising above it you know the
1: yeah, I yeah, thought. I would
0: say it does, and it drives along pretty good, you know.
1: Now, to be fair, I, I, I think, um. I think everything's fine as it stands, but if if I were to say if if you were to shorten the runtime, this would have been the one that would have got the axe for me. I would agree. No offense, Chris, I still think you're a yeah. fantastic songwriter. That's just right. my opinion. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, same. But, and it is a long album, so you, you. you I mean, can yeah, it's it's almost yeah. sixty four minutes long, which right.
1: is yeah, especially in nineteen ninety. Right. I mean. When CDs were only just barely starting to become like kind of the right, the yeah. main thing. You're putting out a pr- pretty long record. And I think this originally came out on one LP. Oh, so man. I don't feel bad about not getting original now because yeah. that probably sounds terrible.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we got our, our closer. Anybody listening. Also another very Roger Waters sort of title. Very. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that title immediately made, me, immediately made me think of Floyd. Like, and there's a music video there, for this one. Oh, is there?
1: Yeah, I remember, I, oh, wow. I taped it. I, wow, okay. There was actually, there were six videos off this album. There was four singles, but six okay. videos. Because Another Rainy Night also had a video, Okay. and it wasn't a single. Well, because back then, you would get songs that have videos that weren't mm-hmm. singles. You can go yeah. look through the Cure discography for a really good example of that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and I love this. This is my second favorite song on the record. Yeah,
0: yeah, this is a great song. Very atmospheric track. Um, has an orchestral feel to it. And they apparently um, almost never played it live just because... Trying to do the arrangement live was tricky. Yes. (laughs) To say the least. Um, I found another, uh, Chris DeGarmo like wrote in the sleeve notes for the Japanese edition of empire, uh, about this song. He says, anybody listening is basically talking about two things. First of all, it is talking about trying to find a freedom of soul. The second thing is about trying to pay attention to what it is that people are saying. It is asking that whether anybody really listens to what we're doing. Um, so basically it's like, you know, it's about how people just talk but don't listen, you know, um, you know, which is an interesting sort of topic, I guess. I'm sorry, uh, you were saying? <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, there's a really cool middle section that gets pretty epic, too. It's uh, Yeah, and to me it's a, it's a song about, like, it's questioning authority and critical thinking skills, which is another really relevant topic, you know again so so kudos this album has aged pretty well i would say
1: yeah almost all the you know critiques hold up and everything and right yeah i mean uh i don't think necessarily every album we've listened to holds up this well right exactly
0: Uh, uh, (laughs) i won't name any names just because you know we're we're fun Um, and, and I didn't. I didn't listen to the bonus tracks because I, I listened to it a long Neither time ago. Neither I. Uh, and that version of Scarborough Fair that they did is just. I, I'm I, not fucking listening to that yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. That was my that my take too. I, sorry. I, I remember. I was like, whoa, that might be interesting. That you know, but it really wasn't, and it really turned me off. So I I didn't want to listen to it again. Now
1: they do. Uh, there is a song in the bonus tracks because I, I it, and though the, these songs have been reissued a few times, because I want to see there was also a 10th anniversary reissue or something like that Uh, there was a song called last time in Paris okay and I think I saw the title of that uh, that song was gloriously mismatched because it's on the soundtrack of the adventures of Ford Fairlane (laughs) don't get me wrong (laughs) I'll watch that movie if I see it on but like most of the rest of the music is very much Mm -hmm. at odds with that Mm
0: -hmm. when Andrew Dice Clay ruled the earth and they let him be in movies yeah
1: Yeah, I don't miss that time, it turns out. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I can't. Can you imagine seeing Andrew Dice Clay like doing that kind of routine nowadays? Yeah. That would not go over well at all. (laughs) I guess a good way
1: to phrase it is when I was eight, I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I was, uh, I think I was probably like 19 or 20, and I still thought it was pretty hilarious at the time, but it was, you know, way different time and stuff. I vastly prefer
1: Gilbert Gottfried's impression of Andrew Dice Clay. (laughs) And if you ever get the chance any of y'all yeah. out there listen to it, it's
0: hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. and Andrew Dice Clay has done a good job of uh resuscitating his career and that's like, what I've heard. And, and he's distanced himself from that character. You know, he he you know, even back then he used to talk about it being a character, to be fair. So like he, yes you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but like nowadays he's he's done like some respectable acting jobs and done done really well. So yeah, good for him. Uh but let with that's not a good segue, but uh do you want to talk about some vinyl? Let's do it.
1: Thank you, everybody. And now we're going to talk about the release <laughs> history. <laughs> now, I did catch myself. I messed up earlier when we were talking. It was not released on one LP originally. It uh, actually, okay. it is one of those albums on the tail end of when, when everything would still come out on on record, cassette, vinyl. It's yeah. in that little window where you got those albums on all three. It actually was released globally on vinyl on two LPs. Wow. Uh, good. So that's pretty slick. And So it really is a double album. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> Uh, so and it kind of lapses from print after 1991 with the occasional release here and there there was some there were some CD editions in like Brazil in the mid 90s and then it's not until um you get into the early 2000s where it starts getting reissued uh there's a DVda issue of it from like 2003 Ooh. Uh, there's a there's a remaster from 2003 that I think is the edition with the bonus tracks mm. um has there ever been a surround sound
0: version I do haven't seen it that'd be cool i would i would be
1: surprised if we don't
0: get one right this this album would be a really good candidate for yeah. that format
1: and then recently uh there were a whole bunch of cd reissues for the 20th anniversary and then um there was also a, a company called Friday Music. They've, they've been doing a bunch okay. of reissues of like a, a lot of 80s rock even. Uh, Kicks' Blow My Fuse was reissued by Friday Music. Okay. Uh, but they did a reissue in 2011 that I missed out on and is now kind of expensive. Uh, and then in, two, in 2020, uh, Empire got reissued at the same time as Operation Mine Crime for the 30th anniversary of Empire. So uh, they are out there. And there was even a pressing, another 2LP pressing of Empire that came out this year. So you can get it now. There's a 2021 pressing. I might even look into it because my Friday music pressing doesn't sound that good. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) And that's my bad for probably should have looked into it more before I bought it. But so, yeah, it's on me. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I can't remember. I think I got the 2021s.
1: You lucky son of a...
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those are, I, I picked those up too. I got those. Yeah,
1: mine's, mine's a green vinyl one on Friday Music. Oh, man.
0: Green vinyl would be cool, but.
1: It's, I mean, the, the, the green is fine, but honestly, the pressing is just yeah. not that great. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, I, I can't tell you about any digital masters of it because I haven't listened to them. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I haven't listened to a, a digital version of this That's album okay. since. Okay, it's the CD. vinyl.
0: It's vinyl history lesson. That's right. It's a vinyl history lesson.
1: <laughs> so, yes, it's vinyl uh, history is, is scant. And, uh,. Uh pretty much all of them, except for like the last two pressings, have gotten expensive. Hmm. But uh, you should get one anyway, just because, you know, why not? It's a good it's record. It's there. You'll find <laughs> yourself at a store, and you'll be like, hey, it's Empire. My last copy of Empire I had however many years ago, so it up again. <laughs> but now the cool thing about all the new editions is it actually did drive down the price of original pressings. Oh, some, nice. of them still get, okay. some of them still get a little bit rough like there's there's one in, like yeah. in the u.s you're probably gonna be spending a hundred bucks but
0: yeah so there's that yeah when you can get like a nicer better sounding version <laughs> that yes makes it you a can probably less. get a better
1: mastered one for yeah. less but mm-hmm. and uh fun side note uh the guy who did the engineering work on this album, Jim Barton, mm-hmm. he came back and uh, I believe he did the engineering work on the on the the two record the first two records that they made with Todd LaTorre. Okay. So yeah, and Jim Barton's got a really cool uh, 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 little musical history. I just wanted to make sure we threw that in there before we moved on. Uh, okay. Moved on from anything just because yeah he he was clearly like buddies with Peter Collins because I see some of his early engineering okay. jobs are. Uh, power windows and hold your fire <laughs>
2: <laughs> seems like there's a
0: connection there <laughs> right right you see what i'm saying
1: yeah uh, he uh was the engineer on trickster's second album Ooh, okay i know everybody was aware of that <laughs> <laughs> and he's he was one of the mixers on uh, metallica's live shit, binge and purge release oh. when i was a kid that release was a big deal because it was this not uh-huh. you weren't just getting a live metallica album you were getting this massive box of live metallica stuff uh-huh. and uh me and my friend jake uh used to listen to that all the time in my car so yeah just wanted to throw in the bit about james jimbo barton (laughs) all right let's
0: let's do some gear talk
1: gear talk i would love it
0: all right let's dig into some gear talk uh michael wilton uh plays the esp michael wilton signature model guitar so he has his own signature model. Who the hell saw that coming? <laughs> I don't know what attracted him to those, but.
1: Uh... <laughs> Isn't it great that this company already had a
0: model made uh, Right, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so he plays mostly his own, mostly ESPs. He has a Line 6 Variax Acoustic 700. He plays Les Pauls. Uh, he plays Strats. Uh, he has a 62 Strat, so like he's, Dang, so he's got right. some pretty nice stuff. He's got a 54 Telecaster. Whoa. Um, in 2009, he switched. He, he mostly, like in the heyday, played through Hughes and Kettner um, amps, uh, but he switched over to Crank Amps. He used the Hughes and Kettner switchblade amps through the Hughes and Kettner 4x12 cabs for most of the time. Uh, and, and he's used bunches of amps, really. I mean, tons of different things. And he, he, I was looking through his list of effects, and it's, you know, you listen to these, to these records and how dense they are and everything like that. And his effects rigs are as massive as you can, you can imagine. Um, mostly Digitech delays. Uh, the one interesting thing I thought was cool that I hadn't seen before, uh, most of it's like, you know, Stuff that you've seen before on lots of guitar rigs and stuff. But he has this Dunlop Custom Shop DCR25R Rack Wah and Wah controller. So he has a Rack ra- Wah? He has a Rack Wah. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. Huh. I didn't know they made such a thing. So, no. So that, so that was pretty impressive. Was, so does it mean
1: it's not like manually controlled at all? Like it just has a setting and when you turn it on it just does its thing? Or like
0: I'm not sure. Yeah. And it says he has a Wah controller, which to me would be like the same thing is a wop at all right
1: well that's my thought on it yeah, but you know
0: yeah. yeah i'm not sure i i, I want to do more research on not that being though. a gearhead i right, have yeah. no point of reference yeah. here. yeah, so yeah. That's a, that is a trip yeah i'm kind of a gearhead but i've never heard of that before i didn't no. know they made rack mount wads so uh chris Degarmo, he played uh mostly kramer Superstrats, um lots of marshall amps and cabs uh esp guitars um his tone is usually the warmer of the two to balance them out he's uh, like Michael Wilton is more of those ice pick sharp tones he's like more on the treble-y kind of thing and uh, and Christy Garma is more of the warm stuff um, they I, I read a story about how they pushed their rigs really hard while they were recording Empire they blew three speakers out of their amps I heard
1: about that yeah because they were trying to find the right sound and some of their yeah. some of the sounds they were
0: looking for they had to get those amps
1: right up to the point of almost just like, right. freaking exploding before they uh, got yeah, they, the tone they wanted
0: yeah I, part of me was just like laughing my butt off i was just like man they blew three speakers trying to get a tone
1: <laughs> that's what you can do when you have an advance from a fat major label right people. yeah yeah
0: <laughs> uh eddie jackson the bass player he endorsed kramer basses during the 80s that's not mostly... jackson basses what the hell right. <laughs> <laughs> i know he sold out his own family uh. um he mostly played the specter kramer era basses through heart Key lh 1000 amp heads and heart Key, um like 4x10 and one by 15 the high drive series of bass cabinets so depending on what he was doing I'm assuming, like, for big shows, he was using the 4x10 cabinets, and then maybe for recording, he was using, like, the 1x15. I don't know. Um, and Scott Rockenfield uses D-drum drums, uh, Peisty cymbals, and Pearl and Gibraltar hardware, attack drum heads, and Easton Ahead drumsticks. Um, there's and any a- of you who have seen a right video have seen the rad God. chain set. Yeah, exactly. He has that 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 rad chain set. Any uh, and there's a on Wikipedia. There's a listing of the drums he uses. It, it doesn't give you like the brands and things, but it tells you exactly like you know what size you know like the number of toms he has. Oh and like my. It Has a breakdown of of his whole kit, so you can you can definitely go. I didn't think it'd be very interesting for me to list off one 15 inch tom. Right, but I mean, <laughs> hell, just you know, listen yeah.
1: to this record. You can hear how many freaking drums the guy's got yeah i mean it's, it's yeah. not like he's all over them all the time or anything but you just no. yeah there's a lot of there's there's clearly a lot of different
0: size toms there's, in that a, kit and there's some a variety rotos of and, tones for sure yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah cool well i think that pretty much wraps up empire uh do you have anything else you want to add or uh, I don't
1: really think so uh, other than uh hey everybody pick this album back up again and yeah. give it a listen cuz you know yeah. of all the things we've talked about on the show and I mean uh, it maybe aged the best of almost any of them
0: Yeah I agree I, yeah definitely pop it in and take a listen to it it's uh you know it's it's dense and there's like some heavy moments in it and stuff like that but like it's it's a really good record yep. they, they made a good record that, that has held up and, and you know stood the test of time and all that um yeah But anyway, thank you guys for listening, and we will talk with you next time.
1: See ya.